0: As everyone is very much aware, we are living in a divided nation. How did we get there? How did we get here? How did we become a nation that is so deeply divided, a people that is so deeply divided? The answer to that question is not a simple uh, answer, and there could be, obviously, many different answers to that question. But given what we have witnessed this past year, one uh, way to answer that question is really summarized in this morning's passage. It's the main idea of the passage we're going to look at this morning. And it's this, overreactions to injustice often leads to division among a people who should be united. Overreactions to an injustice often leads to division among a people who should be united. We've seen this played out throughout our nation with all that's going on all over the cities, all over our cities in America. Uh, The question is, how does that happen? How do these injustices that we see being played out or the overreactions to these injustices play out and being played out in our nation, how do these things happen? How does uh, a nation made up of 330 million people, And their overreactions to an injustice lead to division. How does that happen? The passage we're going to look at this morning answers that question. Maybe not comprehensively, but it does give us a a blueprint of how a people who should be united becomes divided when they overreact to the injustices that they see or they experience in life. Uh, Genesis chapter 34 verses 1 to 34 is the passage and it is probably one of the most difficult passages to preach on in all of the book of Genesis because of the content. It is uh, a story of Jacob and his sons and Jacob's daughter named Dinah. And the story is not about Dinah and what happens to her. That's not what the story is about. The story is about the sons of Jacob and how they react to the injustice that was done to her. So before we get into the passage, I just want to give you some definitions that are going to be important here. What do I mean by overreaction? An overreaction is an emotional or a more emotional or forcible response than is justified. To react with unnecessary or inappropriate force, emotional display, or violence. What do I mean by an injustice? An injustice is a violation of another's rights or what is right, lack of justice a specific unjust act or a wrong. And division, what do we mean by division? The act of separating into parts or the process of being separated, disagreement between two or more groups typically producing tension or hostility. Okay? So I want to answer the question, how can overreactions to an injustice lead to division among a people who should be united? Number one, overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people often begin when those in positions of leadership remain silent when an injustice has occurred. Verses one through five. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamer, the Hivite, Prince of the country saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. Some translations say that he laid with her by force. The ESV said he humiliated her. The NIV says that he raped her. Verse 3, his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah. The daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamer, saying, Get me this young woman or this girl as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace, that is, remained silent until they came. Jacob, the father hears that his daughter has been violated. And what does he do? Nothing. He says nothing. The fact that it notes that his sons were out in the field working is to, is to show us that Jacob had the sole responsibility of protecting and caring for his daughter while the sons were out working. But he didn't do what he was supposed to do as a leader of the family. He totally ignored his responsibility. And his daughter was violated. He said nothing. Now why would he ignore her? Why would he ignore this situation? I think keep in mind that it notes, the very beginning of this passage notes that that Dinah was the daughter of Leah. And if you're unfamiliar with Leah, Leah was Jacob's wife who he did not really have a lot of affection for. His favorite wife was Rachel. That was the wife that he desired. But Leah, not so much. Uncle Laban deceived Jacob and ended up giving Leah to him as as a wife instead of Rachel, the woman that he wanted. Only later did he end up giving Jacob Rachel. So Leah had children with Jacob and one of them was Dinah. And the lack of affection towards Leah clearly is passed down to Dinah. We know that that's the case because we know later on in the book of Genesis when Jacob finds out that his son Joseph was, or he thought, was torn by beasts, his response is that he weeped and wailed, tore his clothes, put dust on his head, and his sons couldn't even comfort him. But when he finds out his daughter Dinah is violated... He does nothing. All of this to simply say, overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people often begin when those in positions of leadership remain silent when an injustice has occurred. People today living in our society, in our culture, witness injustices all the time. And when they don't see the leaders, those who have the responsibility of making sure that justice is carried out, when they don't do that, people witness that, they get angry. And rightly so. So when leaders don't do what they're supposed to do, there's a problem. Even when we don't see an injustice and we don't say anything about it, sweep it under the rug like it's not our responsibility to speak up, that's a problem. That's a root cause of all of this. Secondly, overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people are often fueled when those who are angered by the injustice feel like they have been disrespected and insulted, verses 6 to 12. Then Hamer, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done, clearly angry. But Hamer spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as wife." And make marriages with us, give your daughters to us, and take your daughters, take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. And then Shechem pipes up and says, and said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as wife. Now here you have the sons of Jacob. They find out that their daughter or their sister has been violated. And the one who has done so and his father come and speak with them. And they say, let me give you a proposition. It'll be to your advantage economically. You can actually prosper from this. We want you to make marriages with us. Take our daughters for yourselves and give your daughters to us. Who's doing the giving and the taking? Jacob's sons are. That's how Hamer, the father of Shechem, presents this. They're doing the giving and the taking. And he says, come and live in the land. Dwell in it. You can trade in it. And you can acquire possessions, acquire property in the land. This will be to your benefit. The fact that he says you give and take is to show uh, Hamer is showing the Jacob's sons that you're the ones who are going to benefit the most from this. This negotiation, you're in charge of it. Then Jacob's uh, uh, Shechem's, Shechem himself speaks and says, oh, "Just give me her. Just give me your daughter, or your sister, as wife." Whatever price you want, I will give it. There will be no price too high where I won't pay. Not one word is mentioned about the wrongdoing. Not one. They never confess that Shechem had done this thing. It's not mentioned one time. They basically go to Jacob and the sons and say, you can prosper for what I have done to your daughter. It's basically how Jacob's sons took it. It was insulting and disrespectful to Jacob's sons. Jacob's sons viewed themselves as pimps. That's how they felt they were being treated by Shechem and Hamer. Because Shechem and Hamer were offering uh, Jacob and his sons prosperity at the expense of violating their sister. How insulting is that? There's a reason why at the very last verse of this chapter Jacob's sons say should, to their father, should, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Why would they say that? Because that's how Shechem and Hamer were treating their sister, and they would have been treated as pimps because they would have profited from her abuse, making them like pimps. Now, you're angry because you violate, think about this, someone violates a family member and they don't come up to you and apologize, they just offer you, hey, you can, you can benefit from this economically. And Jacob was going to do it. Simply to say, overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people are often fueled when those who are angered by the injustice feel like they've been disrespected and insulted and their problem and their complaint have been ignored. And there are many people in our country today who feel that way, and they have a legitimate gripe. Thirdly, overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people often involve stratagems employed by those who have little power for the purpose of getting even. Now, I use the word stratagem intentionally. A stratagem is sometimes synonymous with strategy in military context, but its primary definition is a clever scheme for achieving an objective, often by deceiving an enemy. So while a strategy can denote any plan of action that is implemented to accomplish a goal, a stratagem usually implies subterfuge or unconventional tactics to gain an advantage over a competitor, and that's exactly what Jacob's sons do. Verses 13 to 18. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamer his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For that would be a reproach or a disgrace to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughters and be gone. And their words pleased Hamer and Shechem, Hamer's son. See what they did? They used a very deceitful tactic To get even and to get revenge. It was a plot and a ploy. Because they knew they couldn't take on Shechem and Hamer straight on. They were outnumbered. They were more powerful than the 12 sons of Jacob. So they had to use some other tactic, underhanded way to get even with them. And that is true today. Today. People who are feeling that they don't have any means or any power to refute a system that is against them will do uh, uh, underhanded tactics to try to get even and get revenge. So what happens. Overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people often involve clever schemes employed by those who have little power for the purpose of getting Even. It's true then and it's true today. Fourthly, overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people often include dishonest leaders misleading the public through a misrepresentation and a manipulation of the facts. Verses 19 to 24. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamer and Shechem his son came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised will not their livestock their property and every animal of theirs be ours only let us consent to them and they will dwell with us and all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamer and Shechem his son every male was circumcised all who went out of the city all who went out of the gate of his city And I asked myself why were these adult males go ahead with this proposal and circumcise themselves. It was a very, very, very painful process when you were an adult. And they were willing to do that. Every, not everybody, uh, there were, the Israelites were not the only people who were circumcised back then. There were other people who were circumcised back then. But not everyone was circumcised back then. And, and evidently, Hamer and Shechem and the, their people... We're not circumcised. He says, You need to be circumcised. Why would the people go along with that? You know why? Because Hamer and Shechem distorted and manipulated the facts. In order to see this, you have to compare Hamer's proposal to his people with Hamer's proposal to Jacob's sons in order to see this. When Hamer made a proposal to Jacob's sons, what did he say? He says you can dwell in the land, you can trade in the land, and you can acquire property in the land. When he speaks to when he speaks to his own people, Hamer does, when he speaks to his own people, you know what he says to them? Oh, they will dwell in the land and they can trade in the land. He never mentions anything about acquiring possessions of the land. Why? Because it was theirs and they're not going to want to give it up. So he doesn't he leaves that part out. Notice also when he's speaking with the Israel when he's speaking to the sons of Jacob, he says you give and take. Give our daughters to yourselves and, 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 and take our daughters. Take our daughters for yourselves and give us your daughters. When he speaks to his own people, he says, we're the ones doing the giving and the taking, Sug- suggesting to his own people that they're the ones who are in charge of the negotiations, that they're going to receive all the benefits from it. Hamer was very clever in, in proposing information to his people that left out a lot of information that was, that was talked about with his negotiations with the sons of Jacob. He wasn't completely honest with his people because if he was, they would have never bought and went for his proposal. And he was a leader of these people. So what he did was present a proposal that was going to serve the best interests of his people. That he knew would get them to buy into what he was saying. That happens today. There are leaders today, no one one specific, there are leaders today who are going to tell the public certain things that they know the public is going to want to hear, but don't think for a second that, that, that what they say in public is necessarily what they say behind closed doors, because it's not true. We know that it's not true. He wanted his public, remember this was taking place in the gate of the city where public affairs were were done. What he says publicly and what he says privately to the sons of Jacob are different and distinct. And that is true today because there are people who are telling the public something public for everyone to hear that is not consistent with what they say in private because they know the public is not going to buy into it. That is a factor into the division and the overreaction of people when they see an injustice. Same thing. Number five, overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people often manifest themselves by violent actions that are not proportional to the original offense or to the original injustice. Verses 25 and 26. Now it came to pass, on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamer and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. Was that proportional? He was, he was, they were livid, these guys, Simeon and Levi in particular. They had a zeal for what was right, but their anger got control of them, and they couldn't control it, and they went beyond what was proportional and justified. Do we see that today in our city streets? Yes. Number six. Overreactions to injustices that lead to division among a people often manifest themselves when those angered by the injustice take other people's possessions who are innocent of any wrongdoing. Verses 27 to 29 The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth. All their little ones and their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Here, the other sons of Jacob take advantage of their brother's unjust form of vengeance. These brothers were opportunists. They were looters. Their justification for looting was that their sister was a victim of injustice, thereby compounding one act of injustice with many other acts of injustice. That's what happens. That's how overreacting to an injustice, that's how it manifests itself. I'm not suggesting everybody who's looting is doing so because they have a concern for justice, because that's not true either. Some people are opportunists, will take advantage of it. People want to get a big screen TV, they'll go go ahead with the crowd and they'll get one. Justice is the last thing on their mind. But for others, justice is a concern. But their anger gets the best of them. And we're seeing that being played out all across America on both sides. Number seven, overreaction to this injustice led to a deepening rift between a people who should be united. Verses 30 and 31. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious, literally stink, an odor from a dead fish or rotten bread. You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, but my my household and I. He's speaking to Simeon and Levi. But they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Jacob is only concerned about the consequences of his son's actions. He's not concerned about the wrong that was done to his daughter. The sons of Jacob, on the other hand, are concerned with the wrong that was done to their sister and could care less about the consequences of their own actions. Both are partially wrong in their perspectives in that they fail to recognize and address the whole picture, the whole problem. Jacob refuses to acknowledge the wrong that was done to his daughter, and the sons of Jacob refuse to acknowledge that their reaction to an injustice was unjust itself. As a result, you have a family not seeing eye to eye over what has happened. They are refusing to listen to each other's concerns. What we are witnessing here is a people who should be united beginning to splinter It will take God's gracious work among these people over time to keep this family together so that they can can become the united nation that God destined them to be. That same grace will have to be operative among us today as a people in order to keep us together so that we can return to be a nation that is united once again. It is only by God's grace that this nation will not fall apart. And if we decide as a people to push God out of our schools, out of a public life, that decreases that possibility of actually happening. We need God's grace. It was only by the grace of God that the nation of Israel became a nation because it was the grace of God that was able to overcome this division that was taking place all because they overreacted to an injustice and it led to the division of this family. And that division continues to unfold as we see the life of Jacob and his relationship with Joseph and the rest of the sons. Keep this story in mind when the next time you read the Joseph story because this is all there when Joseph comes on the scene in chapter 37. There's a lot of talk of unity today. We hear our leaders talk a lot about unity Sounds wonderful, but remember this. Unity that, a unity that exists without Jesus Christ cannot last. A unity that exists, I don't, I don't care how many times they talk about unity. If our leaders talk about unity, but it's a unity that is not in Christ, that unity will not and cannot last. Genesis chapter 11 is a perfect example where the people of the world came together, and God said they became one people, but they were united without God. And God says, not going to happen, so he scatters them, and then reunites a people to himself in Acts chapter 2 by one spirit, one God, one baptism, one spirit. And that's how we become united in Him. True unity is found in the Trinity. And we in Him, one body. True unity cannot happen without Christ. So when we see unity starting to shape, take shape, and, 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 and Christ is not in the unity, it's not going to last. It will not last. There's one other point that is important in all of this. When there is an overreaction to an injustice, oftentimes the victims of injustice are forgotten. It is interesting to note that through all of this violence and all this vendetta, not one word has been heard from Dinah. She is abused, she is avenged, she is spoken about, and she is delivered, but she never talks. She is denied an opportunity to speak, which tells us We should never silence voices. Even if you disagree, in this cancel culture, we don't silence voices. Because sooner or later, it's going to come for the voice of the church to silence Jesus. Just like at the very beginning of of the church, the religious leaders told the apostles, do not speak in the name of Jesus. Cancel culture, first century style. There's truly nothing new under the sun, is there? S-U-N and S-O-N, for he is above all things. So yes, overreactions to injustices that lead, lead to division among a people who should be united. It's a tough chapter, but it's one that needs to be heard today. And may God's grace be with you and me So we can be agents that unify with our words, with our hearts, and help be agents of grace that God can use to bring healing to a broken, divided nation. Because it's the church that's going to do it. May that be so. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word for this story in Genesis chapter 34. We are a broken nation. We're a broken world. And it's a fact of life that there are injustices that exist. And it's also, uh, living in a broken world, we can expect people to overreact with injustice. We're seeing it played out in our nation often. It's troubling, Lord, to us. It's unsettling to us, it's disturbing, and it's sad, and it breaks your heart. Help us, Lord God, to be a church that's unified in this broken world. Help us, Lord, to be agents and people that you can use and entrust uh, to bring reconciliation and understanding. Help us, Lord God, to listen to other people's complaints, And not assume anything. We know so little about other people's lives and where they're coming from and their experiences. Help us to do so gently, lovingly, while at the same time not compromising your truth and standing for what is right, which is revealed to us in your word. We're living in difficult times, and you are very well of the times in which we live. We pray that you would help us to navigate this this, the, these troubling times with skill with wisdom that surpasses human understanding so that in the process of it all people who are broken and hurting and feeling uh, like they're victims of an injustice or are victims of injustice that they will see you in the brokenness and be drawn to you and you can transform their lives and as you transform lives you can transform peoples and nations help us Lord to be willing to do that the hard work that goes into doing such labor. And we will give you all the glory and the praise for what you do in and through us and making us whole. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand, if you are able, for our final worship song this morning, Crown Him With Many Crowns. God is a just God, He's a God of justice. We live in a world that's broken, where there's much injustice that leads to overreaction that can cause division among a people who should be united. May what happens out there not affect the church and the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. The division that and the words that are being mentioned or that are being said among each other may not, may that not happen among the church and its leaders. May we be unified so that the world out there can know that Jesus alone is the Lord and can change the brokenness within our land. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace.